to Mind Crime Liberty Show with me, Swan Dobson, and him, Tim Hatton. Today we discuss, is Vladimir Putin right? Unless you've been living under a rock, you have realised that Vladimir Putin has single-handedly ended coronavirus by invading Ukraine to the uniform condemnation of all the Western powers. The impression you might have is that Putin just wants to recreate uh, the Russian Empire just because he's the spiritual successor to Hitler. However, that's not the way Putin sees it. His arguments in his speech, which unfortunately you can't really read as easily now because the Kremlin site is down, uh, was essentially one of liberal interventionism. Um, the ethnic Russians in eastern Ukraine are being oppressed by Kiev and attacked by neo-Nazi Ukrainian nationalist militias. Um, also, you, he argues Ukraine is close to acquiring nuclear weapons and so it must be stopped. Um, this, to me, at least on the face of it, very seems very little different from many of the American invasions, I mean, in particular, ones in the Balkans where Kosovo and Milosevic was supposed to be mean to the Bosnian Muslims. Oh, no, we must come in to defend them. And it's like, well, you could easily make the same case that that's what Putin's doing with respect to the ethnic Russians in the East Ukraine. Um, so that's at least his claim. Now, whether that's true or not, the question, I mean, what it seems to me to be is the main aim of um of, of, of Putin is to um re to get the land ceded by Lenin in 1922 back into Russia effectively or at least the Russian satellites um east Ukraine and um over into Transnistria which is borders Moldova on the south side of uh, Ukraine and including uh, Crimea that seems to be his um primary uh, reason um Oh, to note as well, uh, Crimea was only ceded to uh, Ukraine uh, by uh, Khrushchev in 1954. So it's this this land is relatively uh, newly Ukrainian, which, of course, they didn't care about because it was part of the Soviet Union at that point. So it was all on the right side. And um, but leaving that aside uh, as to um, what whether that is actually his real reasons or not. And that would be primarily for sort of uh, geopolitical reasons. Um, you might have heard like warm weather ports in Crimea and and um, there's mining and uh, reserves and things in the east. Um, just a warm water port. I had a look. I thought, well, what's, what's the difference in warm and cold water port? Well, the thing that I suspected was true is the cold water port would actually freeze. And Russia, apart from Crimea, has no warm water port. It means you can't deploy ships at various times of the year, which for security reasons isn't ideal. Um, but going back to um, Putin's alleged re the reasons he claims are his reasons for going in. The interesting question here, I think, is this. Could you argue that Putin's uh, invasion is a just one uh, by the conditions of classic just war theory? And just war theory tends to have uh, five uh, conditions, proper authority, probability of success, proportionality. That is, is the violence proportional to the objectives? Last resort and just cause. Um, proper authority. I mean, nobody would. He, he's clearly the leader of Russia, so that's not really an issue. Um, he can clearly win. Well, if he just goes for the east, he can clearly win. Um, trying to control the west might be difficult because he could have a guerrilla insurgency for a long time because there's far fewer ethnic Russians there. Um, is it a last resort? Mm, as you may or may not be aware. There was something called the Minsk Agreement, which was created in 2014, uh, which basically said that um, 
Ukraine would be a neutral country and um, they would take troops away from the borders and they'd recognise Crimea and there'd be more autonomy for the Donbass region, which is uh, Lugansk and uh, the Donetsk region in the east. Um, and it's been constantly ignored. Now, the Ukrainians would argue, oh, well, you know, it was it was agreed uh, to be something that the Ukrainians could never really agree to despite agreeing to them. Um, and so they've never sort of implemented it. But at least from his perspective, you know, he, he thinks this is a, a glass resort of some uh, description. Um, the most interesting question, though, um, is whether it is uh, just does he have a just cause or not? I think this is the most interesting of all of them. I mean, the, the other ones are more sort of prudential, um, pragmatic reasons as to whether you should invade a country or not. Um, now, it seems to me that, it, uh, well, according to, it, assuming this is true, that since at least 2014, the, Uc- the ethnic Russians in Eastern Europe have been attacked and tried to be... Um, kept under the thumb by Kiev and uh, have been generally treated badly. They've been tried to be denied the right to speak Russian and having to speak Ukrainian in public, or at least in public buildings and things. And um, there are separatists in East Ukraine, uh, in the Donbass, in the Donbass region. And um, if they, I think, you know, you could make an easy claim to, to some extent that Putin is defending the rights of self-determination, which, you know, everyone was supposed to be in favour of. Um, and so I, th- I think that, at least on the face of it, seems in principle reasonable. Um, similarly, you could make the claim for Crimea um, as well. I mean, Crimea is like 70 percent ethnic mm-hmm. Russian, uh, who had also had a referendum not only in 2014, but also in 1991 which had like 90% of the population voting, wanting to stay part of the new Russian Federation, uh, which was then ignored in uh, the early 1990s. Um, So I think you could certainly make a defense of that. Now, whether or not it's necessary to go and try and take Kiev and to try and force them to be a neutral country, I think that is a little bit more, mm, not not immediately as obviously, justifiable but if he were for instance just to have sent troops into the donbass region or more to crimea then that i think at least on the face of it seems to be a relatively reasonable action if one takes uh, sort of secessionary groups um to be be legitimate which which of course i do note interestingly as well under the ukrainian constitution the eastern ukrainian areas cannot have a referendum to leave uh, Ukraine, unless the entirety of Ukraine vote. So this would be like, in the case of the UK, uh, an independence referendum for Scotland, meaning that Northern Ireland, Wales and England have to vote as well. Now, in that case, Scotland probably would have left because I think a lot of England would have voted them to leave. But in the case of East Ukraine, uh, my understanding is that's where, where the mining operations are, uh, which are quite valuable. So it would be unlikely that they would uh, vote for them to uh, to leave. I think that's a similar situation with the Catalans in Spain. They're economically one of the richer areas and basically the rest of Spain want to keep them there because they get tax money from them. So on the face of it, I think to some extent Putin's um, invasion of Ukraine can be justified uh, at least on uh, just cause. As to whether he's executing it in a justifiable manner is another question. 
but I think in principle, uh, some of his reasoning is, is is justifiable. Tim, any comments so far? The trouble or feature with just war theory is to me, and we have uh, run-ins with the YouTuber Todd Lewis, uh, both been on his program. Uh, he is, of course, is an Anabaptist, doesn't serve in the state. Is You take just war theorists, just war theory, which has a Christian heritage to it, um, you could argue that almost no war is just. Um, you know, it's the contents of an empty box here. Um, and and uh, you recently on a roundtable, I think like the Christian left is sort of totally uh, in general, except like the Amish and the Tolstoy types who take it seriously. You know, they, they don't oppose all wars. They don't oppose that they, they oppose wars that are um, they oppose Republican wars, but not Democratic wars. Um, um, so 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 I, I think that quick aside needs to be made here with respect to war and conflict here. Um, um, and as far as, you know, is Putin legitimate here? Well, he's legitimate governor of Russia, if you think status theory is correct, which, again, you know, people like, you know, Christian lefties and Brian Zan types, Cornell types, Cornell West types seem to only think the only legitimate governments are democratic governments. So in a way, they don't people in the United West, you know, Britain, the West, so to speak, U.S., only really think quote-unquote, democratic governments are legitimate governments anyway, uh, which is sort of the view they've had since at least 1914. Um, you know, you know, the star isn't legitimate. Um, um, now, the, the actual de facto, so this, again, if you take statism seriously, and since we're both theoretical anarchists, whatever that means in practice, um, if you take statism seriously, you know, Russia is, and, and, and they did win elections, they won like 81 percent of the vote in 2000. I think the United Russia Party run roughly that in 2000. I used to know a lot more about this when I was in college, about the internal politics of Russia. Of course, I've never been there, um, but you know, that's neither here nor there. So it, it is a legitimate government of a sense. I mean, it, it's in a sense, one of the funny things is it's probably nicer than living under the communism, the commies. Even in the late, especially in the 30s, but definitely the 80s. It's, well, it depends. You know, if you read someone like um, uh, uh, the journalist who wrote Hate Inc., um, Matt Taibbi, you know, he points out that like the 1990s in Russia were basically anarchy in the worst sense of the way, where you have like weapons deals, you have, you know, the privatization of like of, of public corporations that were just being like bought up by oligarchs and businessmen and rapid inequality so and putin credits points to all the 1990s as being like a period of really you know they got the 91 revolution but then they got this huge period of just calamity now again this is i don't know we've done an errors of historians podcast maybe it was much nicer maybe it was much worse i'm not a russian i'm not there i don't i don't know any of these situations here um, so as far as like just wars theory is concerned, I, you could argue that Russia is defending itself from Western intervention, which is not a new story. It goes back to the Napoleonic Wars. It goes back to the, the Great Northern War with uh, the Swedes um, when Russia became a uh, great power. Um, um, it goes back to its wars with Turkey and Japan in the east and the south. So you could argue Russia is just defending itself. I mean, that, that's that's a simple case. And like without Ukraine, without Crimea, Russia is much less defendable 
in classic sort of land war theory. Uh, uh, and actually, I just recently learned this, uh, and I learned this through Keith Preston's Facebook page with a video he linked. It actually it's in it's buried in the video, but apparently the the Ukrainians blocked the canal to ship water to um, which is built by the Soviet Union actually. Now again, you could argue the Soviet Union was just slave labor and the Ukrainians actually owned the canal. So this is a but this is like a water war, and the reservoir was down to like seven percent over the past six years, and they had to truck water over a bridge um, from Russia. Now, you could argue the Russians shouldn't be in Crimea, um, but this is where the, the it's a sort of tricky history where you know, who exactly owns Crimea. And again, without Crimea, they don't have a warm water port, and they're not a great power with a capital G because they can't have a blue water navy as easily, and they can't have shipping. Now, again, you could say pure anarchist theory, why do you need a blue water navy? Well, this is, this is where it's like, well, we're the pure anarchists, you're the statists, if, if you want others, others don't other states have a right to defend themselves. Uh, I mean, in my view, a state as a political scientist, again, I don't have a Ph.D. in it, but, you know, it's it, but even like the uh, more realist school, the Machiavellian schools would point this out. The state is basically a military and, you know, Russia will cease to be a military power. Um, um, and, you know, it, that, that's just the way it is. So I, I would say it's a legitimate war in the context of classic legitimate war theory i mean you, you know so you could go oh you could always go full amish and say there are no legitimate wars and there's no uses of force but that would make almost every american war probably illegitimate including pearl harbor because we were blockading the japanese you could argue the japanese were just defending they wanted oil we were blockading japan um that's something you know that's tends to be forgotten um, um, so, yeah, as far as the just wars theories are concerned, if you take it consistently, to me, almost every war is just or almost no war is just. And if you take the every war is just, it seems it doesn't seem like it came out of nowhere. It's he was he told them in advance they broke the Minsk agreement. Now, whether he can win it or not, whether it's rational for him to do it, even if he has just cause is a good question. That's a very good question. But I'll stop my comments there and you can continue with them. As I was saying, I, 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 I think he, he can clearly win it. He just needs to he needs to limit his his um, goals to East Ukraine, Crimea. Um, I think Kiev is just a, a way of getting the extra. Uh, he was trying to get to Kiev so Ukraine surrender and then can have some uh, nice uh, peace, peace treaties favorable to the Russians. Um, we, I, I'm, 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 I'm slightly more. Uh, a beat about the possibility of the usefulness of just war, but um, as, as I mentioned earlier, I think the the most the the least defensible part of the Russian invasion is well, you know, if if Ukraine becomes part of NATO, it's a de facto threat to Russia. It's like, well, yeah, okay, it probably is, but is it really a, an active and live threat? Is it? I mean, it, it's almost getting to the situation where it's getting close to pre-crime. So they haven't actually done stuff yet. And of course, you could also say that, oh, Ukraine borders a nuclear power who could nuke their cities. It's like, so I, I, I kind of think it's a it, that's not the most justifiable aspect of it. I mean, for the Ukrainian position, I think the assuming the Russians, the Russians go to what they are. I mean, I would try and sell, set themselves up as an independent state, uh, a neutral one, but then try to militarize significantly. 
so that any future potential Russian invasions you've got much more prepared for, and then you can't be pushed around by many other people. I mean, that's what would seem to be the most sensible geopolitical strategy uh, from um, from the Ukrainians. And and it is true that the Russians are paranoid because they're trying to keep a, an empire together which has no logical or natural borders. I mean, the, the England and the UK are straightforward. We have water. It's easy, but but not so um, for the Russians. Um, I think, however, um, one of my interesting questions here is, I think, as Tim raised before, is um, well, there's mostly sort of ethnic Russians in the East, East Ukraine. Uh, but it's like, well, do they have a right to be there? I mean, who was there first? Because generally speaking, people think, well, if, if you're native and you kind of acquire the land as virgin, as virgin land, then it's, it's kind of yours. Um, so the question arises, well, do the ethnic Russians actually sort of have title, as it were, to East Ukraine? Now, obviously, I'm talking as a group, and I mean, you can make the claim that only individuals have title. But, you know, insofar as maybe... I suppose if you wanted to go for like a, a hypothetical contractarian view of a of a, a leader, or or just that there is a representative of some description, irrespective of whether they're um, voted for or even do sort of uh, share the interests of the rest of the East, uh, the ethnic Russians in East Ukraine, um, whether or not um, you know they're the ones who are justifiably there, rather than say the sort of like the more ethnic Ukrainians, although I've heard the argument that the ethnic Ukrainians and ethnic Russians are very little different to each other. Uh, but anyway, so histor- historically speaking, apparently uh, Russia only comes up into the Crimea in the late 18th century. Prior to that, I think it was owned primarily by, well, you had mostly Tartars there who were a Central Asiatic people group, um, similar to the Turks in certain respects. Um, the Crimean population goes up to mostly ethnic Russians when Stalin deports the Tatars and uh, replaces them uh, with ethnic Russians. Um, Stalin did this a lot um, to uh, divide the... Now, I don't know exactly what the designation was within the Soviet Union, but it was part of the Warsaw Pact countries or some of the genuine sort of Soviet republics. Uh, he sent ethnic Russians in there to sort of um, divide the population effectively. And to break any sort of um, secessionist and um, ethnic belonging, or at least reduce it. Uh, so Stalin deports the Tatars to uh, Central Asia, and then um, after Stalin does that, the, the Russian population of Crimea goes up to seventy-one percent. As to um, as to the Donetsk region, apparently the Russians only turned up in the nineteenth century. Although I have heard as well, though that. Basically, who you could call the Ukrainians, although, I mean, talking about the Ukrainians might seem to be somewhat of a um, of a an anachronism, because as to when Ukraine as such existed, I'm not entirely sure. Some have claimed that Lenin was basically the creator of Ukraine, but um, it would seem to be that sort so of the, who might consider the ethnic Russians only turned up in the late 19th century. So the question is, was anybody there first to begin with? And... If they did, well, do they have rights to it? But then, of course, if they hadn't uh, mined the, the um, metals and things in the region, would they really have kind of title to those specific um, sorts of lands? So I think we get here an interesting uh, problem of, well, whose is it really? And this 
is similar and this goes but this is more like a geopolitical version of the reparations discussions we've had in the past it's like oh well you know that's slave labor uh slavery is 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 wrong um we need to compensate them somehow by the descendants or whatever uh of the slave owners um so it's sort of a bit like that it's like well okay who who has the territory and and again this 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 is a an issue which um pervades many conflicts uh so for instance uh, disputes with the indian tribes in america you know did the indians own all of america or do they only own parts of it or what proportions and etc of course you've got this in ireland as well um my understanding is ireland you predominantly only get sort of english settlers in the cromwell although i could be wrong with that uh and so you know whether or not the people sort of descended from um the english there are uh legitimate another question although the scots interestingly originated in ireland and then went back to ireland but then there were scots and so they're invaders um you also then have israel as well i should be walter block has debated on before claiming that well the jews have these documents claiming that well you know these lands where all the um west bank arabs are are uh, legitimate israeli territory or at least jewish territory and so uh therefore you should leave um so i think once you start drilling down here as to well who's air who sort of has legitimate control over these areas i think things get um somewhat uh, murky Tim, have you got any initial comments on uh, the who has who could be generally considered the just owners of these sort of pieces of territory, say in Russia, but then also more broadly with respect to American Indian tribes or Israel, etc. Well, this to me is one of the reasons why I got into <clears throat> libertarianism. I it's not necessarily a purely I, I, I'm into liber, I like libertarian thinkers because I think libertarian thinkers are aware of the Unlike the Marxists who do a lot of trickery, and as Hans Hopp points out, they'll talk about the enclosures, they'll talk about land grabs and so forth, but they don't, they don't like, they don't drill down and ask like, well, how, how exactly does any individual or group come to own a territory? Now, the only other group that is like the realist political scientists, you know, you can study theories like neo-offensive realism, and it just basically states that states. That who, it's just basically an updated version of Machiavellianism. It's amoral for one thing. There's no moral. There's no justice. It's not like it's not just. You know, that's so like your 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 comment on just war theory. I sort of, no offense, I rolled my eyes on it because in a sense, in is uh, you know the state, the the owner of a land is he who controls the land, occupies the land, and maybe uses the land. Uh, I maybe. You know, like, but that, that, that's 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 like that's like only a maybe. So you have to sort of de facto and de jure. I forget that there's some Latin or Greek word about that. Um, but like, so like, you know, if you if Putin Putin controls uh, Crimea currently, um, you know, now now could NATO in the West undermine him? And he doesn't, you know, actually a palace coup happens like Gaddafi, it falls apart. That could happen. Uh, that could easily happen. Um, 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 but, you know, and I, I think Putin fears probably himself being Qaddafiized. I mean, Qaddafi gave up his nuclear weapons. And, you know, in within a few years, NATO uh, basically sent a whole 
uh, attack squadron against Libya. Now, of course, there's slave markets in Libya. Before it was just tourist hotels, and I think they kept the tourists safe and they kept both things separated. But now it's basically a dump, um, which causes migrants to flow north across the Mediterranean to escape this dump um, created by NATO. Um, so, like, like, so the person who controls the land, you know, again, see, all non-anarchists are statists. Okay, so people will laugh at anarchists, but then they'll turn around and complain about certain states. But I, don't, I still don't really know, like, what what is the other than other than like pure military force, which exactly which is how Israel and the United States secured its own land. It's how Britain secured its land. You pointed out how England has an ocean and Russia is not a country. But that could just that you could just have, this. This just becomes like, well, countries that don't have natural borders are just harder to defend. Um, there's an interesting idea I've thought about. There are papers about this. It's like the relationship between geography and culture. Um, it turns out like that countries that have mountains and easily defendable waters have higher degrees of liberty now, or freedom. Now, again, you could always get this to a definition autism. What does liberty mean? What does freedom mean? But, it, it, you know, you can look at Venice. Venice is a historical city that had a high degree of like – uh, of quote unquote liberty, probably by many definitions. Of course, the left or the Jeffrey Tucker types say, well, they did it slavery or something like that. But then again, everyone probably did some version of that anyway. Um, um, so, like, you know, places that are easily defended, like a Britain, like the United States, as it currently is, you know, again, if, if the Confederacy won the Civil War and they had multiple powers, then the United States is not as easily defendable. So this is where this is where, you know, I, I'd say the statists and I include libertarians at times, you know, do a lot of round trips and one it both ways. You know, like if, if Russia could have its Laban's realm, it is much of more coherent society. You know, it was much more coherent, you know, like in 1989, the Soviet Union. Again, I'm not a defender of the Soviet Union, interestingly enough. I'm probably glad it fell. Um, but I, I, there's no real theory. There's no real theory long term. This goes back to the defense problem that are pointed at anarchists, libertarians, that they can't and Kapistan can't defend it. Now, that's generally thought as a obscure reasoning, but neither could the Cherokee defend themselves against the French and the British and the Spanish and later the Americans. And actually, many of these tribes you point to made agreements like the you know, one of the things that were pointed out in the American Revolution was that many of the native tribes fought with the British against the Americans. With the very with the very good belief that that the Americans were actually more expansionist than the British, and they lost the war. What happens if you lose a war? You lose your territory. I mean that that's that's one of the things that like that's what happens when you lose a war. If two native tribes fight over some horses, let's say, which were brought by the Spanish, uh, or the or the Aztecs and the ne never native group fights, and the, the one group loses, they'll occupy the territory. That's just how the way it goes um, under sort of like, you know, realism, so to speak. Um, so I, I don't really see a theory. The, there's the homesteading theory, of course. There's a homesteading theory, of course. And we sort of discussed this with our Woodrow Wilson and Amish episode. Um, but, you know, again, one of my names is like uncertainty. Yeah, I'm uncertain how people come to own things. I mean, I'm glad I have property here. But as we've seen with the um, Canadian truckers, um, you know, the government can just reach in and take all your money out of your banks if you want to. 
Um, you know, so like who actually, you know, who actually in the same way, who owns your money? Um, who owns who owns the land? It, it's it's unclear. And the reparations claims are always, um, you know, this is very politically incorrect to say, but a lot of the reparations claims are just sort of anti-white um, um, things. And it's taken me a while. Though, that's a very hyper politically incorrect thing to say here. But it's probably true, as pointed out, like, you know, the Quakers seem to have legitimately occupied most of Pennsylvania or at least the eastern half of it, for example. Um, um, with trades of iron tools. And like, how did the natives actually homestead that land? Uh, and this goes back to the class of civilizations argument here, where, you know, when you have comparatively different degrees of development, you, you run into problems here. And, and very few people are primitivist hunter-gatherers, like Ke- even though Kevin Carson sometimes talks like one, I imagine he's not, doesn't live like one. So it's unclear, other than the sort of military force way. That seems to be the only real reason. Sorry for a long tangent with him, but that, that's my long reasoning about why, about your sort of reparations argument. And, and, and it, is, it is a version of it. Um, but as you just say to Ukraine, there's lots of population transfers. And so many of the ethnic Russians that live there, from my understanding, they weren't always sent to Russia. Like when, when we were sent from like St. Petersburg to U- the Ukraine, I, from my understanding, it wasn't always voluntary on behalf of the, the, the Russians that went there, or, or entirely voluntary to begin with anyway. It was a transfer on both ends, um, so they weren't very happy with it. it. Not in all cases, but I think in some cases. But that's that's my comment. Oh, yes, that's certainly true. Well, I, I don't think Stalin was going, oh, would, would, would you like to go to Belarus? Would you, would, oh, how would you like to go to the Crimean Sea? Uh, it's like uh, I, I don't think that was that was a kind of a question that Stalin uh, asked people. Um, so yeah, I mean, it is is interesting. I mean, I think clearly when it comes to ownership of virgin land, now there have been I have engaged with some Thomas, um, uh political uh, people with political theory informed by sort of uh, the Thomistic tradition. Who have tried to make the claim that oh no, but Virgin Land doesn't exist. So it's like no, no, we need to go talk about common good. You know, there's there's no such thing. We can't have these abstract liberal experiments about homesteading. It's like, but I'm I'm pretty sure there's like tracts of land today that are disputed. It's like how do you determine who owns it? It's like, but they refuse to give me an answer because I I I wanted them to tell me who the water block of uh, Thomistic um, political theory was. They don't have one, um, which was kind of disappointing because I would have been interesting to read what they would have argued. Um, but there's clearly disputed territory and there's clearly bits that are like effectively unowned. Uh, I mean, uh, <laughs> good example, Liberland also, is. <clears throat> I'll also throw in, if you take, if you're a Jeffrey Tuckerite or if you're an open borders advocate, um, technically you should, you should be entirely, like one of the comments we had on our Keith Preston Israel thing is why shouldn't Jews living in Cairo or Germany or United States be allowed to go to the, that Palestine and just build homes, hospitals and schools and then defend them. I, I don't really see, the, you know, I mean, I don't really see an argument against that and vice versa. Why shouldn't my ancestors from like 20 generations ago came from England to United States, not, not me, not 20 generations and set up, you know, a life here. I mean, why not? If you're if you're an open borders internationalist, you should be. Of course, they would argue that it should be under an, a, a one world government minarchy of, of like, you know, 
some, you know, of, of something like that or something like that. But, you know, if you add that in, it gets even more bizarre. Um, and your point about them not answering is entirely correct here. There, you know, and actually, as many communists are anti-free uh, migration in general, in theory. And a lot of like the South Americans uh, wouldn't allow you to leave because they view you, they educated you. This was the East German argument. They educated you. So they, in a sense, own you. And like, you know, they taught you to be a doctor. And now you're going to move to West Germany and become and sell your services for profit, even though we paid for your education for free. You know, so that like if you take the open immigration argument, things become even much more strange. Oh, very much so. Um, very much so indeed. Um, I was going to say with respect to homesteading, I mean, a form of homesteading seems to be the 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 only real just way you can own something maybe it's occupation and use or you've 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 got the debate between kind of like the georgists the uh the the lockians the proviso lockians and the non-proviso lockians and um the mutualists but i mean it seems to be that one of those theories or a combination of them seems to be at least correct i mean I, i don't really see any other viable alternatives to them um so if we were to have for instance like perfect knowledge of who moved where when which was actually a a like an occupation invasion which was actually um settling and virgin virgin land you could you know in principle go well, okay we know who justly owns things so i mean what you could say is although i suppose you could make a counterclaim that, that the people who are like uh, forcibly um, moved from out of their homes in russia to go to crimea by Stalin. You know, well, yeah, they were forced there by Stalin, but, you know, they they shouldn't be there as the ethnic Crimeans or whoever they would be. Um, maybe it was the uh, the Tartars, but I suspect the Tartars displaced somebody else. Um, and I think you then make the claim, well, you know, they des- <laughs> this is going to reparations, right? No, they're deserving some sort of reparations, but should go back to where they sort of have, like, legitimate land claims. Unless, of course... And I think what would typically happen, even if you have perfect knowledge, is you would actually have um, land claims sold. They wouldn't have them. This is something I believe in South Africa. But if you can show that like a white farmer, like an Afrikaner, has like Bantu land, as it were, um, you can have it. But in most cases, like 97 percent of them, uh, they just agree a fee and they just pay the Bantus off and the Afrikaner farmers keep the farm. So in practice, if you had that, I suspect you actually wouldn't get hugely different. Uh, I, I don't think you'd have huge movements of, of, of people groups. I, I, I suspect you would actually have in that kind of way. I think you might actually have to some extent a relatively sort of conservative approach with a small C. I mean, it would be, well, you're kind of here now. Well, kind of stay there. In most cases, I don't think that's necessarily true in all cases. Uh, that would depend probably on how recently they appeared, because obviously you know, people are there for a long time. They get used to living there as well as maybe less so after um, industrialization. But, you know, peoples get shaped by the environment they live in. You know, certain types of traits are selected for by the ecology and certain people survive longer, reproduce more and don't. And so you kind of get a change of the um of the people there and you 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 have some sort of sort of like shared um 
you're engaging with a shared project with them or some description of some sort of belonging. So I actually kind of think that you would probably have, as I say, relatively little movement of people groups, typically. Um, so I think that might be an interesting way into current sort of land disputes, which is to say that probably, well, whoever's kind of there now to a large extent, though not entirely, um, because there was an interesting... I don't use a great argument, um, but there was an article by a British academic called a guy called Carl Wilderquist, who argued that given Rothbardian theory, the Queen actually owned all of England because, well, you just take existing property claims as just. And since the Queen claims that she owns the whole of England effectively, well, it's hers. Now, I think you can modify this based on what would be considered legitimate. So, for instance, if someone claimed they owned like a whole bit of land, but they'd never used it, it's like, well, I don't think you owned it. But if you've actually got people groups living and working in those areas, it's like well, kind of you, that's more of an in principle, like justifiable property claim rather than, well, you know, I can see a long way and I fancy it's mine. Um and of course, you might want to make a distinction between, between claims of like states and peoples and whether or not you'd have. I mean, another question here at the back of it would be to what extent would, as it were, anarchist societies have leaders and um, within a particular territory and whether you could sort of w would you have a ruler as such? Now, obviously, by definition, you say, no, no, anarchist communities don't have leaders, but they, they kind of would. Um, I mean, interesting. Um, I was I didn't read this, but I was good second hand. But apparently Bakunin argued that like the Greek states were anarchic. Uh, interestingly, um, so I suppose it depends how uh, broadly and narrow you want to do that. But um, I do think in general, as a general rule of thumb, whichever people group happens to be there at the moment, and if they've been there for a decent amount of time um, and they kind of want to secede. Well, they kind of should. And even if there is any other sort of um, uh, claims on the land, I mean, you can dealt with on a case by case basis, of course. But I, I, I do think that thought experiment about um, sale of land and things and evidence coming from South Africa would sort of indicate that a relatively more conservative approach to sort of legitimate current land titles uh, and countries as well, for that matter, which is, of course, is related, uh, is, is really uh, justifiable. Uh, so, Tim, any comments on what you could say is the conservative secessionist reparation position? One comment I'll add first is, in a way, reparations at times seem to resemble an extortion. Um, that That's one what's one thing I think you, know, you live here um, X number of generations ago. Supposedly, my ancestors lived here. Therefore, you have to pay me. Um you know, and it seems, is this a one-time payment or is this a thing that's going to have to be perpetually paid every generation so forth, forward? Um, it's not entirely clear. And, they, and again, it goes back to ownership. You know, did your, did your ancestors legitimately own the land to begin with anyway? Um, you know, and then who did your ancestors get that land from? Um, so this, this in a way resembles an extortion and it also has a sort of an original sin problem. Um, uh, it also has an original sin problem as well. 
so like, you know, one of the sort of things that you, if you study any history of night, which I did a little bit in college, any history of the slave trade, actually dig deeper into it. One thing you'll quickly realize is that the slave trade was only possible with, with local brokers. So how did the slave trade happen in Lagos? Well, you'd have one tribe or one group and they would go in the interior and they would just raid um, certain groups, often their enemies, and capture slaves and then sell them to the Europeans, the Spanish or the Dutch or the English, and they put on the ships and send them to the United States. So who, you know, so there's probably some Nigerian in Lagos currently who eight gener or twenty generations ago was also involved in the slave trade. So you had you had local brokers doing some of the dirty work too. Um, this also exists in the Indian Wars as well. You had, of course, you had the Indians allying with certain European groups. The conquistadors allied with um, um, native groups to defeat the Aztecs in the very first open engagement here. Aztecs were a kind of empire, too. Um, so, you know, there's an original sin problem there um, um, that, 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 that clearly exists insofar as it seems like everyone is guilty to some degree or another. Um, um, so as far as who owns what, and it would it would be a small city with a conservative. People wouldn't go anywhere. Um, people wouldn't move anywhere. Uh, uh, so so in this sense, the liberal internationalists' order here uh, only in a way exists thanks to the U.S. Navy and the British Navy, arguably formally. Um, so so you know, it, it, this is quite the enigma here. I. I don't, I don't, I don't have any clear solution. I, I'd like to think, you know, see, like I could become a statist if the state would do things which I think were rational. Um, um, so in some ways, it's, it's pragmatic, you know, like, you know, like I don't think the United States should be involved in Ukraine. I think it made false promises to the Ukrainians that it cannot keep. Um, and I, you know, that was, you know, you know, actually Jeffrey Tucker, funny enough. You know, speaking of closeted monarchists, Jeffrey Tucker, in an old lecture or Q&A or something like that, I would have to would struggle to find the source since I've consumed thousands of hours of material and read thousands of things. One said that like the um, the Habsburgs, which is the Austro-Hungarian Empire, uh, might have been the were actually they were actually more legitimate. Um, they could they could keep a quote unquote lid. Unlike democracies, which turn into ethnic majorities, places with split loyalties and allegiances and groups could be ruled quite peacefully with the monarchy in a way. Like, so you have the Austro-Hungarians, they're a monarchy of some variety. Now, I'm not sure if Ukraine was, I don't think Ukraine was part of that, but it, the, the example works in a sense. Um, you could be ruled by a monarchy because you're not really running elections because elections in Places multi-ethnic elections generally go quite poorly. Look at Lebanon, for example. You have like 50-50 Christian Muslims. Nigeria has the same demographics at this point too. And basically, each election becomes like a mini civil war. Um, it's not like you know you don't have any Roger Scruton, John Stuart Mill's shared vision. It just becomes like a civil war over like are the Christians going to be in charge or the Muslims going to be in charge or the are the Tartars going to be in charge or the ethnic Orthodox Russians going to be in charge? It, it becomes basically a crapshoot in a democratic election. This is one of the problems with spreading democracy to places like Iraq is or other places. You know, so maybe the Hitchens, the Hitchenites and the Coulterites 
need to uh, need to actually get down and dirty and actually convert them to some sort of, I don't know, uh, heretical Christianity or Christianity if they want to make them democratic. So Ukraine actually might work. Uh, Ukraine could, in theory, be join NATO and become a quote unquote Western European country that could work. And Russia could, too. Um, but um, as far as the actual individual issue, I would say the original sin problem pervades so much so that it's hard to tell. I do think the Jeffrey Tucker side is quite interesting um, um, with, with respect to monarchies in these areas in Eastern Europe. They might not have been ex- able to exist as sort of these pockets without something like those ruling families there, which I find quite interesting as a sort of counter-democratic point. But that's my comment there. No, I, I, I do think if you have a, a ruling body who uh, clearly isn't part of any of the real ethnic groups uh, there particularly, you can kind of seem to be somewhat fair. Um, and of course, if you're not voted in as well. Although my general position would be if you do have a, a multi-ethnic uh, society, uh, you basically need to run it as an empire and have as much sort of local autonomy in general. Uh, to otherwise, the natives get restless. Otherwise, you sort of need a much smaller states or do you agree with my uh, original sin comment? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course, it's the original sin comment. I mean, yeah, it's like everywhere you go, I mean, no one's going to have 100% just property title. I mean, that's true. I mean, I was just using the thought experiment. I suppose you knew everything up until this time, you know, perfect knowledge of the past. I mean, it's obvious that there's going to be very few I mean, I mean e- e- even if you said oh yes some of the certain lands in america were legitimately settled in this sort of pure lockean sense it's like oh yes but you only had this position because your forefathers defeated another tribe in battle and unjustly killed people or you know took stuff uh you you so you're richer than you otherwise which you would never have been able to make the voyage i mean trying to create a line of pure sort of virtue isn't going to happen I mean, it might. There may be some, but I mean, it'd be vanishingly, vanishingly small. Um, So I I do think that's the case. Um, And as I say, I I, I do think. So what do you think? What do you think about if if it was the case that everybody knew everything? Do you uh, who had legitimate title? Do you think many people would actually move, or do you reckon it would be mostly financial transactions? Uh, between peoples. So, for instance, let's suppose the, the Western Ukrainians go, well, the Eastern, uh, the ethnic Russians, you should have been there. Let's suppose they went there themselves and they displaced Ukrainians. And, you know, do you think the Western Ukrainians would go, oh, no, give it us back or would they just like, just give us money? Or we want to go and live there? You know, what, what, would you, what would you anticipate would happen? It depends on if they could pay. I mean, one of the, one of the troubles with, um, one of the troubles with any, one of the troubles of any sort of payment-oriented justice systems to me is that most parties can't actually pay. Like, so for here's a quick aside. Sorry for another quick aside. Take um, Russia and uh, its nuclear testing in Kazakhstan. I forget one of the stadiums and U.S. nuclear testing Bikini Islands. U.S. paid out a major settlement to the Bikini Islands people of something like that uh, for basically nuking all their soil and putting them to another island. I don't think Russia has ever comparatively paid off all the poison lakes. And the reason they can't do that is Russia is not that wealthy of a country. Um, so, like, the only troubles with any payment-oriented justice system is, you know, what are you actually going to get? Like, so like, some random Appalachian farmer or, or carpenter living in West Virginia, if you want to argue that he stole, his great-great-great-grandfather stole lands from the Cherokee, 
he's worth like 10,000, his GDP net worth is like 20 grand. He works at Walmart. Like, or like, you know, it's like, you know, like, what can they actually pay? And what, what, so, you know, this is where justice, in a way, is, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't, you know, this is sort of like a sort of moralistic philosophy thing. It's not, it's not, um, it's not, it's, I, I don't really have, would they take the payment? They'd probably take the payment if they could get a payment. But, you know, payments, in a way, in a way, if you're sovereign enough to get a payment, in a way, you have to have power to do so. And you have to have be, you have to have like, you have to have, be sympath- have a sympathetic part in the, the powerful people have to be sympathized to you. And the fact that they're sympathizing you would probably lead you to believe they're actually using you, um, uh, which is probably the case. So, like, you know, in a way, the Americans are helping the Ukrainians out. But in a way, the Americans just want Ukraine for its own reason. Just look at Hunter Biden's look at Joe Biden's son. You know, so it's it's these things are always extremely tricky. I'm an advocate of local rule simply because it's harder to be. It's harder to be unaccountable to me locally if you, than it is foreign, although that might not be the case. Um, if there has to be rulers, I think they should be local if there has to be rulers. That's my general view, decentralization. Oh, yeah, yeah I'd, I'd agree on the decentralization point. I, I mean, in reality, yeah, would you be able to get a payment? Well, not necessarily. Um, it's more of a thought experiment more than anything else, and I, I, which I think most, mostly shows that, as I said before, you know, whoever happens to be there now, in most cases, they're probably going to stay and other people aren't going to want to go and live there. Um, even if they own things, I mean, are the Eastern Ukrainians going to want to own a mine? Are they going to know how to run one? I suppose they might want to become a large shareholder, I suppose. Um, but I mean, I mean, this is interesting. One of the arguments that Peter Zian makes as to why ch- he thinks China is unlikely to invade Taiwan. Now, note here, he is very uh, pessimistic on actually China being a genuine economic power because he thinks they're basically just an outpost of America because they most of the Wealth has been created by foreign investment. Uh, he says that well, the, the Chinese aren't going to invade Taiwan because they don't know how to run any of these um, the microchip factories, and so they they can have no economic value. So yeah, there's no much point invading them. Um, I suppose what they might try and do is try and get some tribute money or somehow from them instead, because they just don't know how to run it. Um, back to the reparations. I mean, if you couldn't pay, I suppose you could have some sort of low-level sort of like servitude payment. That you have technically like an indentured servant to everybody. Everybody in the world is sort of like a partial indentured servant to each other. Although, of course, remember, of course, you you, you might get a lot of these um, disputes like cancelled on either side. We work out the the money from each of the parties. Oh, hang on, you own ten grand, and you own seven. Or actually, the other guy owns three. Um, it's, so you could have kind of cancelled out. It's I quite guess. funny that it's quite funny that the Kevin Carson types will end up creating a world, in order to get justice, the Kevin Carson type will end up creating a kind of proto-feudal society of like, like lend, like each person has a lien on another person, or each group has a lien on another person based on some historical comment. It is a quite interesting irony here that I, you know, you can say, well, I'm just advocating the finders keepers position, which doesn't actually currently benefit as much as it could. I mean, if you want to really say, finders keepers i'd turn back the clock to like 1900 you know so actually currently it's the finders keepers position is a lot different but if you take the finder current finders keepers position today you know which is sort of the small c conservative position you know uh, uh it, it is it is interesting what would you make of that swithin oh yeah i mean it is well 
I don't necessarily think the fight of finding keepers position is wrong. I think I think kind of finding keepers is kind of like the homesteading position to a large extent. Um, unless I misunderstood what you said. Um, yeah. So yeah, the, 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 no issue with that. Um, at all really. Um, so we're coming to the end now. Tim, you have any final comments into the whole uh, Russia invasion of Ukraine, or just in general, sort of just statehood? Well, not that's not just statehood is the wrong term, but uh, who on the on topic of who owns, who has legitimate, which people's groups have legitimate claim to particular plots of land? Uh, the the de facto answer is whoever has a military and whoever has international recognition from other military powers has the and then whoever uses them and you know like like so like the U.S. government is sovereign because the U.S. government you know has use of it you know and and, and local people don't I mean this is Robert E. Lee and Jefferson Div Avis figured this out firsthand with um at you know places like Shiloh and Gettysburg and and every other society has a similar conflict where the central government established its role or didn't or or another government came in and established its role and kicked out the local government. Um, so if you start from like an empty monopoly board um, and you start out all the pieces out, uh, certain pieces have collected certain scraps of land and different pieces have different sort of traits and different sort of advantages and disadvantages. So that's to me the neo-offensive realism position, which I sort of learned in political science college. It's sort of like an updated version of Machiavellianism. Yeah, it's actually one of the reasons why I'm an anarchist. Insofar as you know, if you think states are illegitimate, then unless you think state, the only legitimate reason for states. Interesting. David Graeber made the comment that like medieval lords are sort of a BS jobs. The only real reason is that medieval lords defend you from other medieval lords. So, you know, Britain needs medieval lords descended from French medieval lords. And, you know, so that, that's, that's why you need, um, which goes back to the minarchist anarchist in the national defense point. What's why I'm interested in libertarianism in general. Uh, uh, you know, it's not merely just whataboutism. Um, uh, it's like you know, what, who actually owns what and how do you defend it and how do you keep it and what would a just, quote unquote, just world, if justice, of course, exists. That would be my final comment. Interesting. Um, I, I would just say, I think, in principle, the Russian invasion, uh, well, at least sending troops in to defend the Donbass region, I think, entirely reasonable. And so with Crimea. And if it is the case that they have been blocking off the water, that kind of seems at least at least an incursion there to keep the water supply going. Crimea would seem reasonable. Um, but I, I said it, beating an old drum, um, it would seem to be that uh, in most of these situations of decentralization, would be interesting. I mean, it would be interesting to see what a, a decentralized uh, Russia would look like. I mean, how many how many anarchist communities would there be, or or at least just like microstate communities exist in Russia? Because the population density is very low. So you could think as a large thing of Russia, you just have nothingness for for a lot of it, which may or may not be uh, mined or or whatever for natural resources. Um, so yeah, the decentralization and local control and i think that's one of the ways you're going to avoid conflict because people are running themselves and they're accountable to themselves and they can't the eastern ukrainians can't buy the west ukrainians and uh, they can't buy the russians if, assuming they were independent which of course they probably wouldn't be they've probably been outposts of the u.s of uh, the, the the russian empire um but yeah i think it's been an interesting discussion 
Adnan, I'd just like to thank everyone for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends and family or anyone you think might find it of interest. And please subscribe to us on Poppy and YouTube. The more subscribers we get, the higher we get in the search rankings and the more people can access this material. And finally, if you'd like to contact the show for any reason, please contact us at mindcryinglibertyshow at gmail.com. That's mindcryinglibertyshow at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.